Hey, this is John Arbor, Passes to Wisdom, and man, I just gotta tell you, I'm loving this moment. I'm sitting with one of my best friends in the world, Mark Nelson. This is his backyard. He's a philosopher. He got his PhD at Notre Dame, uh, taught at University of Leeds for a period of time, which is where J.R.R. Tolkien was. Correct. And uh, now teaches philosophy at Westmont. We are sitting in his backyard in Santa Barbara. You will notice the swimming pool. It's like being with a movie star. He's living the dream. And. Uh, this is the person that I go to so often that there's an issue that involves philosophy or just generally deep thought. Uh, Mark is a wonderful thinker and a wonderful teacher. Say a word about your use of pencils in teaching. Oh, well, this is one of my better ideas, I have to say. <laughs> um, I give out pencils as prizes uh, for uh, good answers on tests or good questions in class. And uh, at my own considerable expense, I've had customized pencils created. Um, you know, some will say uh, John Stuart Mill or Thomas Aquinas. If you do a good, uh, uh, you know, a special favor for me, you might get the gold pencil, which is Mark's special friend. I have one of those. You do. Yeah. 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 One of the one of few uh, people who have those. Yeah. Um, the there's a red pencil that says you have disappointed Mark. <laughs> I don't give those out very often. But you have given them out. I, I have. have. Story, yeah. Yep. yeah. So if somebody writes in a really wonderful comment today, something insightful or, or deeply moving, might they get a pencil? Oh, they could easily get a pencil. Wow, okay. Well, let's keep watching. But if they if send in a horrible comment, they can get a red pencil. Red pencil. Yeah. You don't want that. You do not. I don't have a red pencil. Mm. Um, so here's what I thought we might talk about today. Uh, we've been uh, working through screw tape letters. And these are thoughts by C.S. Lewis, not actually in screw tape letters, but about hope and despair. We were talking earlier today about people wrestling with doubt and how prominent that seems to be right now. And, and Mark, was, you were saying you have some people who feel like they have forgotten how to believe. And so I thought I would just read a bit about hope from C.S. Lewis and then would love to hear you respond to it and help us think, how do we live with hope in a world that is increasingly filled with despair? And so the invitation today is to be a person of hope. Lewis writes that hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we're to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. Uh, the great ones who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in, so to speak. Aim at earth and you will get neither. It seems a strange rule, but something like it can be seen at work in other matters. Health is a great blessing, but the moment you make health one of your main direct objects, you start becoming a crank and imagining there is something wrong with you. You are only likely to get health provided you want other things more. Food, games, work, fun, open air. In the same way, this interesting thought, we shall never save civilization as long as civilization is our main object. 
we must learn to want something else more. And then this, most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except insofar as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is, when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. So I, I will stop with that. Hope is something that we cannot let go of, but that is so difficult for so many of us. And Mark, I'd just love to have your response. Oh gosh, there's so much in that passage. Isn't there? Yeah. Oh. Um, gosh, in no particular order. I'm really struck by that, uh, by his thought there at the end that um, we have these desires, these yearnings uh, in us that we almost don't even recognize. Yeah. We don't even know what they're for. Um, and I'll put in a plug here for um, Lewis's spiritual autobiography, Surprised by Joy, huh. because that's one of the, um, that's practically the theme of the book. And um, uh, uh, very early on, he recounts um, these experiences of a kind of yearning for something he mm. did not know what, but he knew it was not of this world. Mm. Uh, and uh, it brought a kind of pain, but there was even, he even wanted it because of the, mm. uh, the painful longing. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, for him, that was a pointer. That was a pointer that, yes, uh, there is something not of this world uh, that is meant to be our heart's desire. Um, that uh, we were created for. And so that idea of uh, even when I find joy in something, there's a longing in it that's not yet fulfilled. There's something hopeful in that, mm. he's saying, because uh, if there's a longing for something, most likely that longing is there because that something is there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. And um, I mean, he goes on and qualifies it, and he will admit that it's, it's not definitive proof that it's there. Mm -hmm. But that it would it would be very strange, for example, uh, uh, to find yourself a fish, uh, and you know yearning for water. Uh, water is its natural habitat, mm -hmm. but in a world where water didn't exist. Yeah. Um, the um, but also like um, this earlier thought that um, uh, the Christians who have made the most difference. Uh, were the ones whose uh, sights were not set mm -hmm. completely on this world, that their eyes were set on heaven, their minds were set on heaven. Um, we do think about it. I think it is, it, it's, it's easy to um, find fault with or poke holes in the kind of um, childish pictures of heaven, streets of gold and so forth. Yeah. Um, but uh, maybe we do that at our peril, because mm -hmm. we, unless we've got something better to replace it with. Yes. Um, and uh, 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 yes, if we forget that our um, 
destiny is a transcendent one, mm -hmm. um, we will be losing something. Yeah, I, I remember expression when I was a kid, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Sure. But he's saying it's actually, although that might happen, kind of the other way around. And there is a thought, I don't know that I've ever thought about this before, but it's in there, uh, in, his, in this writing, I'd love to hear your thoughts about, around it. Um, uh, you can't get health if health is the main thing you want. You can't save civilization if your main goal is saving civilization. Uh, I thought also about uh, diversity and inclusivity. We talk about that a lot in these days. And I remember reading a while ago that anytime there was a real powerful, fresh outpouring of the Spirit on the church, one of the markers of that has been the breaking down of barriers, mm -hmm. uh, rich and poor, uh, male and female, black and white, slave and free. Um, but somehow you can't get diversity if your main goal is diversity. It's a byproduct of something else and there's so many goods where that seems to be the case. There has to be something larger that makes this thing meaningful and if I make this thing the main object, um, the meaning and goodness and energy is somehow lost. I, yeah. I'm not yeah, saying yeah, that yeah. well, but... No, I, I think that that is a, um, that is a deep truth. Um, where it shows up in philosophy uh, is sometimes called the paradox of hedonism. Huh. This is the idea that hedonists classically thought that um, happiness was um, the great good and the thing that we all do strive yeah. for and should strive for. But it was very quickly pointed out that um, if you single-mindedly make your decisions uh, so as to uh, achieve the greatest happiness possible for yourself, mm -hmm. um, you are very unlikely to achieve it. Huh. Um, and you know, just think about um, if you if your goal when you're going out on a date uh, is to have the best possible experience that you can. You know, <laughs> this is going to be the best date, yeah. and you make all your decisions accordingly. It'll be terrible. Huh. That what you should do is just aim to. Uh, I want to go out with my friend. I want to, you know, I want to have a nice meal. And by the way, Mark was a prolific dater. We knew each other from college days. I've known him since we were both teenagers, and we went on double dates. And he was a remarkable dater. So he knows what he's talking about. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, um, you're can't goal, aim at happiness. You can't aim at happiness, or if you do aim at happiness, you are unlikely to get it. If you aim at a great date, it'll be. Um, it, it might well be a disaster. I, I've thought sometimes um, heaven itself is a bit like that. Uh, for those of us who grew up in a way of explaining the gospel, it said, if you were to die tonight, how do you make sure you get to heaven? Um, that almost becomes a form of making your eternal happiness your ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. And uh, understanding the gospel as the offer of life together with God right now as a free gift of grace, which death cannot interrupt, is a different thing than saying there's a big pleasure factory up in the sky and make your main goal trying to get there. In a way, heaven is, even has that same quality. It's a byproduct of the pursuit of uh, another great transcendent good. Um, yeah, and it really looks like um, that's why uh, some of these reformers and missionaries and people who built hospitals and uh, yeah. Uh, people who serve the poor were so effective. So one of the question, uh, one way of thinking about the opposite of hope is despair. And I remember you talking about uh, 
a creature that I think you invented, the weasel of despair. <laughs> and a lot of people wrestle with hope and belief and uh, despair. So uh, tell us about the weasel of despair. Um, so yeah, the, the weasel of despair, and he has many fans, um, including um, at Westmont College. Uh, <clears throat> comes from a little diagram I used to uh, draw for my students. I felt that many of them had a kind of um, wrong-headed and ultimately uh, unhelpful picture of belief. I think a lot of my students uh, understood belief as being like a chain with many separate links mm. and you hold on to it. Each of your beliefs, theological, philosophical, scientific, was a separate link on that chain. Um, and each of them supports some other link that you're holding on for dear life. Um, the problem with that, of course, is if just one link on that chain breaks, um, you uh, fall to your death. And so I had illustrated it with, you know, holding on to the chain of belief suspended over the uh, cliff of doubt above the rocks of despair. And there were human bones and skulls and things mm -hmm. down there, people, other people who had crashed uh, and died. And on the rocks of despair was the weasel of ineptitude. Ah, sorry, the weasel of ineptitude. Yes, but the weasel of ineptitude is there on the rocks of despair. Gotcha. Um, but yes, uh, uh, um, that's one of my better creations. <laughs> uh, so if we don't want that, what's the better way of thinking about faith and belief and hope? I think a better way of thinking about it is to drop the um, separate links of chain uh, picture mm -hmm. and substitute for something like concentric circles, hmm. circles within circles extending outward. Um, and what's important is at the center, hmm. the next most important things are in the next ring, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. I think this is true generally, um, but what it means is you can change things in the outer rings, the peripheral beliefs, um, without necessarily affecting things uh, um, in the <coughs> inner rings. Yeah. And the things you have at the core uh, will be largely immune from change um, mm. uh, when you change the, uh, your uh, uh, beliefs in the outer rings. And the, the, the good thing about that is then, you know, if you come to think that um, uh, a certain literal interpretation of scripture can't be true, um, it doesn't have to imperil the whole, your whole belief system. There can still be a God. You can there still be a God. You know, yeah. um, What should we have at the center? Well, I don't know. Different Christians will have different accounts of this. I kind of think that the Apostles' Creed mm. uh, might be good. Mm. Um, or maybe some people would say, actually, it should just be Jesus. Mm. Jesus is at, is at the core. It's not a set of propositions. It's a person. Well, putting Jesus at the core is not a bad place to leave it. So, Mark, thank you very much. You've got a long, long oh, time. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Receive alerts for new episodes by texting the word become to the number 56525. Or invite a friend by sharing the link becomenew.me.